how many of you know Clint? Okay, so in the early days, we'd say Clint, our nephew, like I just did, but he kind of stands us on his own merit now, him and Nicole, like they're their own people. And now, uh, um, you know, I'm Clint's uncle as opposed to him being my nephew. So that's right, yeah. But uh, what what a blessing uh, this morning. Uh, When Clint moved in with us over 12 years ago, you know, he was raw, just started following Jesus, and we were privileged to become a part of that journey and uh, just grow along with Clint and encourage him along the way. And one thing I saw uh, about Clint was he was definitely genuine and authentic in his commitment to Christ. That was so obvious. And, uh, you know, I thought it's, it's so appropriate that he's preaching God's word this morning because one of the things that has, has so fueled his transformation has been the word of God and his devotion to the word of God. Every morning I witnessed personally Clint in the word. Uh, he, he would get, you know, set his alarm clock, get up every morning and study God's word. And, and he would have, he had these forms that he brought out a teen challenge and, <laughs> You know, they ask questions of the text, and Clint would fill these forms out religiously. And then he'd run out of forms, and he'd ask me to make him more copies. And, but, uh, I mean, and he still, he still does it. We've had countless conversations together. Uh, I'm so proud of you, Clint. <clears throat> and what God's done in your life. It's, it's a tremendous joy to, to sit here and hear you speak. And speak God's word, something you love. And, and that's contagious, by the way. During the first service, I was thinking, man, it is so good to hear someone who's, who's devoted to God's word, who loves God's word, who's faithful to God's word, then speak about God's word and relay it uh, in a sermon like this. So I'm, I'm super pumped for, uh, yeah, that's right, I said that. I'm 50-something, but I can say it. I'm stoked. I'm excited. That's, that's what stoked means, excited, in case some of you don't get it. But no, um, Clint's a good brother. So let's just, uh, let's just invite him with prayer real quick, and, uh, and then he's going he's gonna to come up and start. Actually, I need to read the passage. <laughs> Sorry, I was about to forget that. So let's, let's X out the, the prayer for a second. Turn to James chapter 4, if you will. And let me read this uh, passage that Clint's going to be preaching from. James chapter 4. You know, we're going through a series right now in the book of James. And hopefully you've been ministered to by Pastor Dave's sermons over the weeks. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to start with. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? 
They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Father, please bless the reading of your word. And now bless Clint as he proclaims this very word in your name. Amen. I was 14 years old. Check, check. I was 14 years old when my parents got divorced. I remember always being pulled back and forth. There was this tension going on back and forth between my mom and my father of who I was to stay with. One telling me to stay with one, one telling me to stay with the other. It was this tension that I couldn't control. It was something that I had to deal with, if you will. It's still a tension that goes on continuously still up to this day. But one primary way we see divided loyalties in society is through children of divorced parents. A child of divorced parents is torn between who they are to be loyal to, this one or that one. Who to stay with, this one or that one. Often parents will even lure their children or manipulate them into who to stay with. This speaks to what James talks about in chapter 4, which we're going to look at today. James wants us to make a decision to completely be loyal to Christ. I get this from verse 8 when we read, your loyalty is divided between God and and the world. And that's going to be our main focus this morning. So if you could open with me in prayer. Father, as we go into your word, thank you for Phil reading your word. Father, your word is truth. Your word is life. And out of it, we arise anew. You enlighten us through your word. And that pierces our hearts. That transforms us. That makes us who we are today because of your word. So, Father, take your word today. Use me as a vessel. That's all I am. I'm a vessel of yours, Father. I am here in need of you, desperate for you. So, Father, give me words of wisdom. Give me words to speak your truth and that you be glorified for it all. In Christ's name, amen. Now, who in here right now could raise their hand and say they have inner peace? I'm not just talking any inner peace. I'm talking about an inner peace that comes from a peace that transforms you because of what God has done for you. Something that's inseparable. Something that is so tight to where it is immovable. 
No matter what may come your way, no matter what strongholds may be interfere, you hold strong to the promises of God. You hold Christ dear to your heart. That is what I mean by inseparable. And that should rejuvenate you every day. It should revive you every day that you need it daily. But how do we get there? What do we do about this? This is what James chapter 4 is about to get to. And I'm going to walk through, walk through this. How do we get internal peace? And that will lead us into undivided loyalty to God. The problem is addressed in verse 1. So let's take a look at it. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires within you? Now James is writing to churches abroad. And this speaks to the churches that we uh, are talking about today in church, churches abroad. Um, And he's trying to bring light to the fact that there's quarreling and fighting going on among these churches or inside of these churches. He's trying to show them that there's an internal war that's going on within them. And it's being expressed outwardly, externally, by words and actions. So internally, there is a war going on within us. Verse 1 speaks of this. It is a war. It is a war going on inside of you. These desires that are expressed is internal, and they're being shown externally with words and actions. Now, these evil desires that he's talking about, these evil desires that are stirring within you, you may ask yourself, does this speak to me? How am I an evil guy? I'm a Christian. I go to church. Well, I'll tell you what. These evil desires are selfish motives. These are selfish things that we do, even as Christians, that makes us evil, though we're righteous in Christ, okay? So this war that I'm speaking of, this evil desire within us is selfish. It wants what it wants. It doesn't care. I'm going to show you how this works in verse 2. Verse 2, we're going to see it inward. You want what you do not have. This is something inward going in. Externally, what happens? So you scheme and kill to get it. The next sentence says, you are jealous of what others have, but you cannot get it. It's something internal, something internally. And what happens? So you fight. You rage war to take it away from them. That is external. So this internal conflict we have going on inside of us is expressed externally through words and actions, through our deeds, what we do. And this leads to quarreling, fighting, bickering, murmuring, disagreements, conflicts, judging, and criticizing within the church. Our evil desires are selfish, and we want what we want to bring us pleasure, as it says in verse 3. We want what pleases us. That's all we care about. We don't care about who it hurts, how it does, whatever it does. All we care about is us. Every day you wake up, what's the first thing you think about? Your desires, what you want, what will please you, what will pleasure you. We go through our daily lives thinking that same thing. But our motives behind it are selfish. Just like verse 3 says, our motives are selfish and come from an inner conflict that that flows from our heart. We will steal, we will kill, we will destroy whatever it takes for us to please ourselves. Now, by this, this causes friction against one another by judging one another. And it causes criticizing, just like verses 11 and 12 say. And it causes friction inside the church. 
And that leads to quarreling and fighting, just like verse 1 says. Now, this is an evil heart. Where he's getting it, this is an evil heart. So what does this lead to? Now, let me tell you this. Think about this for a second. How many church splits happen because of things like this, quarreling and fighting, evil desires going on? How many church splits happen? There's no statistics out there that really say how many, you know. So then ask yourself this. How many marriages end in divorce because of this type of thing, these evil desires within us, this selfish motive? Oh, too often, too often. So this leads me to the question then, why? Why? It's because this internal conflict that we have going inside of us is expressed externally. This internal conflict leads to external conflict. This conflict going on inside of us, it expresses itself outwardly. It shows something about us. It reveals that our hearts are divided. We have a divided heart because he says it in verse 4, we are adulterous people. We are two-timers. We want God. We want the world. We want both. It's not good enough just to be satisfied in God alone. I want all these other things. It doesn't work that way. We're trying to fill something in us is what it is. I'm trying to fill this void inside of me with things. All these things, right? So let's look at verse 4. Let's see what he's talking about. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So he alliterates this two times. Not once, but twice. He says it. He repeats it. Now, that should like catch your attention immediately. Not only did he say it once, but he repeated it. Again, I say so what does this boil down to? What does this mean? Well, what he's pointing to is your heart. Where is your heart? What is your value? What do you value more? What is important to you? Is it God or is it this world? Most importantly, where is your treasure? What do you treasure? Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus says it again in 624, we are told to store up things in heaven and not here on earth. But that doesn't mean I can't have things. You can enjoy this life. You can have things, but you can't make them an idol. You don't put them before God. That's where the the heart issue comes in. It's like enjoying the gift instead of the giver. Enjoying creation rather than the creator, right? It shows where our true Loyalty lies. It's more than just the surface. It goes deeper than that. It shows, this is a heart issue we're dealing with. And James is alliterating on this. And this heart issue is the undivided loyalty. And I want to show you a picture of true loyalty. Of a heart undivided. And this is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. But yet his loyalty to God was not divided. Jesus is our example of true loyalty. And Jesus was sent here for a purpose. Nothing would stray him from that. Nothing. He did what the Father told him to do. And he did everything he was told to do, what he was supposed to do. And nothing was going to get in his way. And he was even loyal to God all the way to Calvary. 
to the cross. All the way to the cross he went. And that's where the Father led him. Nothing got in his way or could prevent him from doing what he came here to do. He was undividedly loyal to God. And because of Jesus' loyalty to God, what does that mean? To me, I think this should change us. I think our heart should be transformed because of this. And I'll tell you why. Because of verse 6. Verse 6, he gives grace generously. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 says, he gives grace generously. Now the ESV, I like it a little better, but both mean the same. ESV says he gives more grace. And I call that abundant grace. And because of God's grace here should change us. That's what changes us, God's grace. God shows his love for us like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his son for us to take our place on the cross as our substitute, to take the full, fullness of the wrath of God upon himself for us on our behalf. So you want to see grace? You want to know what this grace we're talking about here? Look to the cross. Look at the cross. Go to Calvary where Jesus died for you and for me. He paid the penalty that that we deserved. That penalty that I should have owed was paid in full because of Jesus' blood. And our Father gives grace generously through him. And he does so through surrender, by humbling ourselves, by us humbling ourselves to him. So that's why James quotes here. The next quote he says is Proverbs 3.34. So James takes an Old Testament verse from Proverbs, and he says, hey, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who surrender, who surrender their heart fully to him and fully to the one who gives grace generously. And because he gives grace generously, that should make us loyal to him and in turn repent. It causes us to repent. And the most beautiful picture we can see of repentance is laid out right here in James 4, 7 through 10, as I read it for you. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and great grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there be gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. So I want you to see something here. At the beginning of verse 7, there's a so right there. Anytime you see a so, it should catch your eye. A so is kind of like a therefore. And if you see it, therefore, before or after a passage that you read, it says, therefore, do. This tells us that this connects that verse to the last verse he just said. So because God gives grace generously, he opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. So, so humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And I want you to see something here. James lays it out in four different ways. 
in the four steps, if you will, but not in that way. But James lays it out like this. Humbling yourself, resist the devil, come close to God, and repent. Humbling yourselves. Our pride, our evil desires, this selfish desire I have within me, that I put myself before others, is at war within me. So we're going back to verse 1 with that one. And by the knowledge of knowing how sinful I am, and that my internal heart is being expressed outwardly, like in verse 1, what is going on inside is being shown outwardly. It will lead me to humbling myself because of the grace of God. Your eyes being opened to your sin and realizing that your heart is full of evil desires. And then when verse 9 comes to reality for you, in verse 9 it says, let your tears let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. I should be awakened because of my sinfulness, this sinful heart, which causes me to humble myself before the Lord. And by me humbling myself is resisting the devil. It leads me to resist the devil. Now, the devil is a liar. He's a thief. He's going to try to do everything he can to manipulate you, to make you think that you shouldn't bow the knee before God. He wants you to stay prideful. He will deceive you into thinking, you don't need to change. I don't need to change. Why should I change? I'm a moralistic guy. I got it all together. But you have to resist that lie. We have to resist the devil. He will flee from you. And how, how do we do that? How does this come to fruition? By coming close to God. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Following your knees in desperation for him. For what you have done, the sin that you have committed, following your knees in desperation for him. Pray to him. Ask him to help you. He will. He loves you. He gave his son to demonstrate that love to you. He gave his son. And by him giving his son causes us to repent. And this repentance is turning away from our sinfulness, washing our hands, purifying our hearts. And we can't do this alone. This is not something you or I can do in and of ourselves. This is only through the blood of Jesus. Only through the blood of Jesus can we wash our hands and purify our hearts. It's only because of his shed blood. He paid the price for you. He died a dreadful death that you may be washed and cleansed from all of your sin. So turn your loyalty from divided to being undivided to God. Surrender all to him and align your will with his will. As I said in the beginning, I am a child of divorced parents. And from that, I had divided loyalty. My loyalty was divided. I gave over to so many things to fill this void within me. Any and everything I could fill it with, I did it. I chased after it. I was seeking for something that couldn't satisfy. Nothing satisfied. There was no inner peace. No inner peace inside. So I tried filling it with everything until I found, found myself in jail. Behind bars. And I was awakened. Something started stirring in my heart. I started seeing God working and opening my eyes to my sinfulness. 
my sinfulness. And that led me to Teen Challenge. And when I went to Teen Challenge, I surrendered my life completely to God, wholeheartedly. I was humbled by God's grace. I resisted the devil, and I came close to God. And he drove near to me. I repented of my sin, and I was changed from that, from the inside out. I had internal peace. Finally, I had internal peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And I had a hope that was greater than I, that the life I live, I now live by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, who gave himself for me. Now, could you imagine, could you imagine a church that would fully shift like God did with me to be undivided, loyal to God only? Could you imagine a church that was loyal wholeheartedly to God? How can we be a church in this community if our hearts are divided? This is God's calling for the church. Your loyalty to God and him alone. Our undivided loyalty as a church produces undivided unity. Our unity will be undivided. We will be as one church, one body, one mind, one spirit. And that, my friends, is the center of God's heart, his church. His people being unified, undivided, undivided loyalty to God. So I challenge you this, this week that you will examine your heart. Take some time. Ask God to reveal it to you. Take some time. Literally, take time. Examine yourself. Ask yourself, where's my loyalty? Is it with God? Is it the world? Are they clashing? Am I undivided or am I divided? Repent of your divided heart. Surrender yourself completely to God. And I ask that he will open your eyes to it. If you close me in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Your grace in Christ. Father, at the cross we see that you gave your son. And what greater grace could that be? And you gave grace generously. Father, take us to the cross, take us to Calvary. Let us see your love being poured out by the blood of Christ. Father, we need you as a church to be called together as one. With Jesus at the center, Father, take us, reshape and remold us, Father, to who you have called us to be. And may we go forth from this day forward and be changed, transformed because of this grace this great grace that you've given to us and through Christ. And Father, I ask you just to be with us. Carry us. Let us lean on you. Help us. We ask us in Christ's name. Amen. If you guys would please rise. Thank you for letting me speak to you guys today. I will uh, give you guys the benediction. And it's coming out of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. You bow your heads. Therefore, since we have been made right in, the, in the, uh, the sight of God by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where now we stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Go with God.